Thanks, Tiffany. Good morning. Gosh, it's good to be with you guys. So I want to start our time by telling you a pretty personal story about my family. Um, in particular, I'm going to tell you a story about um, this girl, my youngest daughter, Billy. Um, if you know her, chances are you really like her. Um, she's a great person. Um, and she has given me full permission to share this story, which is actually really brave of her. Um, in fact, last night she called me and said, uh, how's it going? How's the prep? And are you ready? And I said, well, are you ready? <laughs> and, um, and she said, yeah. And I said, you know, I, I just want to remind you, I'm not going to share everything. And, um, and she said, you can, you can share everything. And so I said, okay, I will. So um, it started about four years ago, and um, we weren't really sure if what she was experiencing was just the normal teenage stuff, right? So if you've ever raised a teenager, or if you know a teenager, or you were ever a teenager, you know the craziness that starts to happen, right? And there's no textbook for people, I mean, people are like, yeah, they go crazy. That's, that's just about all I can tell you. And so we, um, we weren't really sure if what she was experiencing was just normal teenager stuff or if it had kind of slipped into another area. And um, I started to become suspicious as she withdrew more and more from us. And she became more and more isolated, less and less expressive, um, actually more angry for a time. And then she just started to shut down. And I actually started to become concerned that she was hurting herself. And, um, and so I prayed and I said, Lord, would you show us what we need to know? And if you are a parent, that is a great prayer. It's a scary prayer because I believe that Jesus honors it and he does show us what we need to know. And so I saw some things. I saw a mark on her arm and I asked her, you know, hey, what happened? Oh, I was, you know, whatever tree branch scratched me. And what happened to your leg? I fell, you know. And, I, and so there was always a story, but I was suspicious and kept watching. And so um, it happened um, in the early spring, and she had gone bathing suit shopping. Now, if you live in our home, we have this horrible thing that we make you do if you buy a bathing suit. You have to get parental approvement. And, and so approval, which means um, approvement, that's like approving and improving. <laughs> which would be great. We should market that word. Uh, so you have to get parental approval in our home. So it's not fun. You have to stand in front of us with your bathing suit on. So she, um, this kind of derailed her a little bit. And so I said, well, you're going to need to show me your bathing suit. Can you try it on for me? And she's like, uh -huh. so she puts her bathing suit on and stands in front of her mother with just her bathing suit on. And I think this just disrupted her enough to forget to cover and so I saw on her arm very clearly that she had been cutting herself and hurting herself. And I said to her, What's, what is that? And she had this really long hair and she threw it over her shoulder really quick and covered herself up and she said, it's nothing. And I said, look, Billy, um, that's not nothing. And you're going to keep telling me stories and you're going to keep denying things. But I just want you to know that um, we see this 
and we love you and we're going to get you help. And, um, and she received that as any child that is really struggling receives something like that with really just a blank stare. I left her room and, and wept and um, talked to my husband and we made a plan. We got her into a great doctor, someone who actually was very familiar with what adolescent girls go through. Um, and that was so helpful. And she diagnosed her with depression, clinical depression. And, um, and then we took her to a great counselor and we got her on some medication, which are all great tools for helping somebody that's depressed. Um, the problem is as, as her mother, and maybe you've journeyed along somebody, uh, alongside someone who struggled with depression. Um, it's hard because you want to fight for them. You want to rescue them, especially a child who really is just not equipped to handle something like that. Um, but, but all you can do is support. All I could do was make the doctor's appointment and take her, take her to the counselor. But you know what? I wasn't invited into the counseling session. So I couldn't hear what was said. I couldn't control what was said. I could make sure she took her medicine as best I could, right? But I, I couldn't do that journey for her. So we started praying as um, my husband and I about what we could do to help her. And um, it, it, it dawned on us that Billy comes alive in a new way when she's outside. Um, we had gone to Colorado many times. We had, had done lots of different things as a family while we were in the mountains. And, and every time she was in the mountains, it was like she just transformed into this, this person that, that we didn't see at home. And so we uh, decided, well, let's send her to camp. Let's, let's, you know, consider that. And so we talked to the doctor and the doctor said, yeah, I actually think that would be a great next step for her. And, um, and I think she's in a place now where we don't have to worry about her doing anything that's going to really hurt herself. And the counselor said, yeah, I think that's a great next step. And so we talked and we found a great camp that we had gotten great recommendations from. And it is a great camp. And um, filled out the paperwork. You know, they ask you everything about yourself. And, and we were honest. You know, we, we shared with them what was appropriate to share about where Billy was at the time. And that is that she was taking medication because she was struggling with depression. So this particular camp, they, they actually start the experience right here in Dallas. It's about five hours away from here. But you get to drop them off in Dallas and they get on the bus with all the kids and like they start to meet the counselors and the fun just starts right there. So um, Billy was excited, as excited as somebody who's, you know, wrestling with depression can get. And, um, and so we took her, hugged her, dropped her off, and um, was excited, was nervous, had all kinds of emotions. She um, headed up to camp, and uh, she decided to do something risky, really risky for her. She decided to share vulnerably with her cabin counselor what was going on in her life. Now, even before Billy was struggling with depression, she was never really one that just kind of shared everything that she was feeling, which for this mother is a little bit tough because I am so, 
maybe an overshare. And so, but she just, she's an internal processor and it's something she's actually growing and, and she does share a lot more now. But, but at that time of her life, even before she was depressed, she just never shared. And so this was huge. The fact that she would share this very fragile, vulnerable piece of herself with another human being that she had just met was a big risk. Well, this 18, 19 year old girl hardly knew what to do with that information. So she went to the camp director and um, the camp director went and got Billy out of the activity, talked to her, heard her story. And within a few minutes, I was on the phone. And I'll never forget that phone call because the camp director started with Billy's fine, but she shared with us what's going on and we're not sure she can stay. So I said to this woman, please don't do that. Please, we've asked her doctor, we've asked her counselor. We have, we believe, we've prayed. We believe this is the next right thing for her. Please, please don't do that to her. She's become vulnerable. She's healing. We think this is what God wants to use in her life to bring her healing. Please don't, please don't. And she said, well, I'm not sure what we're going to do, but we'll give you a call back in a few hours. I need to talk to the other camp directors. And so um, I got off the phone and I wept and I called my good friends and I said, you've got to pray because I don't know what this is going to do to her. I don't know how this will turn her story. And so we all prayed. And then a few hours later, the camp director called me back and, um, and she said, you need to come get her and you need to get here as soon as you can. And I said, well, we are five hours away. She said, well, just leave first thing in the morning, please. And in the meantime, we're going to keep her in the infirmary tonight. And we're going to watch her 24 hours. Their fear response, you know, I get it. I get it. They run a big camp and you can't have a child hurt yourself at camp. But I wanted them to take a risk on her and we thought she was worth it. The doctors, I mean, everybody said it was okay. And so um, that night, I don't even know how much we slept, but we got up before the sun rose and we started the journey to get her. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you have had to go that many miles and it just is forever to get to somebody that you love that needs you. That five hours was painful and it was hard and it was lonely. And I had a lot of words for God. Why, in the first place, why would you even let her go through this? And then why would you say, yes, green light, green light, green light, go to camp. And then just shut it down like that. Why would you do that, Lord? What are you doing? And I suspect that every single one of you has felt that way. Maybe not in this situation, but you have said, why are you doing this, Lord? Did this escape your sovereign protection? Did you forget about us? What are you doing, Lord? What are you doing? And I think the question that we're really asking in that moment, and the question that my soul was screaming out to God is, are 
you worthy? Are you worthy for me to follow you even now? Are you worthy for me to trust even now? Are you worthy, Lord? When have you asked that question in your life? And I think that um, Peter had that question many times in his life. I think we're going to see this journey of Peter unfold step by step. And he's going to have to answer the question, are you worthy to follow even now? Even at great cost, you'll hear about how his story ends and it does not end well by human standards. Is he worthy to follow even now? And I think that Jesus reveals that he is worthy in one of the encounters that we see that we studied this week in Peter. And so I want to invite you to look with me at Luke chapter 5, because that's where we're going to be diving in. Now, while you're getting there, I want to give you a little background. You know, this is Peter's second calling. His first calling, that first introduction that he had with Jesus was the first time they met. And remember, Jesus speaks over Peter, who is Simon, and he says, from now on, you're going to be Peter. You're going to be the rock. And he speaks this truth into Peter's life. And then Jesus and Peter walk together and, and, and Peter witnesses some of these first miracles, some of the first teaching. And then we know that Peter goes back home. And I don't think this is disobedience. It just seems like it was the next right step for Peter to take. But I wonder in that time when Peter was at home, what was he thinking? What was he processing who is this man? What did I just see him do? And so then time passes and Jesus returns. One day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Jesus was preaching the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge, Jesus saw at the water's edge, two boats that were left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, that's our guy, right? Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now, there's a couple things I want you to notice about this before we move on. This first request, this first ask that Jesus makes of Peter is actually really insignificant, isn't it? Can you just put your boat out a little bit? And Jesus and Peter are friends. And so, of course, I can do that. But what if he hadn't? What if he had been too busy? What if he had not said yes to that little insignificant ask? He would have missed the bigger one. And I think there's a great truth in that for us, isn't there? We are asked to do these little things all the time. And sometimes those little things open the door to something bigger. The other thing I love about this is that Peter is now a captive audience, isn't he? Like literally he's, he's on the boat with Jesus and there's nowhere to go. The crowds are on the shore, but Peter has the best view. He gets to hear Jesus the best. And we have no idea what Jesus was preaching out of the word of God, but I imagine that he had Peter in mind. So when he, Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. 
I find this really interesting, and if you um, got a chance to read in your margin, you read a little bit about why what Jesus is asking Peter to do is so ridiculous. First of all, Jesus is a carpenter, and Peter is the fisherman. Peter has fished his entire life. He knows how to fish. And the carpenter gets on the boat and tells him to do it all wrong. See, they catch fish at night in the shallow water when the water gets cool and the fish come up to feed. And Peter knows this. He's been doing it all of his life. And Jesus says, I know it's the middle of the day, but go out to the deep water and let's catch some fish. And Simon responds. He answers, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything the message says, we haven't even caught a tiny minnow. We haven't caught anything, not one fish. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. See, now I read a lot of hesitation in Peter's response. And that may be because it's just how I operate. Because anytime somebody that has authority over me or asks me to do something that I have already tried, I'm going to say, well, you know, we've already tried that. <laughs> and basically what I'm doing is I am covering myself for when it doesn't work. So I can say, I told you that wasn't going to work. <laughs> or I can tell all the people that were watching me do that ludicrous thing. I told them it wasn't going to work. <laughs> Because Peter was being watched. Remember, there were crowds there. And whether they were fishermen or not, they knew what fishermen did. And they knew that they had been out all night. And since Peter had caught nothing, he was going to have to go out the next night to fish again. And he was tired. And they had nothing to show for it. And the one commodity that Peter has is his energy. And he is, Jesus is asking him to give what he doesn't even have to go out again and do something that goes against all logic. So he does. And when they, Peter and Jesus, had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. How many fish does it take to sink a boat? I have no idea, but it is a ton of fish. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partner. See, Peter's heart is exposed. He had doubted Jesus. He had wondered, are you worthy of being followed right now? Should I do what you're asking me to do? Because it makes no sense at all. And his heart was exposed, which is why he dropped to his knees and he said, go away from me. I am a sinful man. I have doubted you. I've even doubted who you are. You are worthy. I am not. And Jesus says to Simon these tender, beautiful words, don't be afraid. 
From now on, you will fish for people. And so they pulled up the boats on shore and they left everything and followed him. They left everything to follow. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So I want to ask you, where has Jesus proven himself worthy to you? Where has Jesus done something miraculous in your life? Miraculous. It's an interesting word, isn't it? And I love this definition by a man named Major Ian Thomas. He's a preacher and a writer. And I was given this little book called The Indwelling Life of Christ when I was on sabbatical. And um, he says it this way. The miraculous is not sensational or the spectacular. It is simply something that happens for which there is no possible explanation except God. It's not the sensational and it's not the spectacular. See, if Peter had let down his nets and he caught magical flying unicorns, that would be sensational and spectacular. What Peter caught were fish on a fishing boat with a fishing net. He caught exactly what was supposed to be caught, but it was stunning. It was miraculous. And I wonder those times when Jesus has proved himself worthy to us, how many times do we just justify it away? That was amazing. That was such great luck. The doctor figured it out. The money, I didn't think we had it, but I mean, I must have been couponing like crazy this month because we have enough. Wow. It just all worked out in our favor this time. How often do we do that with the miraculous things where Jesus is trying to break through and show us that he alone is worthy to be followed? Peter could have explained it away, couldn't he? He could have said, I had no idea deep water daytime fishing was going to be this effective. (laughs) In fact, we're going to change our whole business model and I'm going to hold seminars on how to do this. He could have, I might have, and he didn't. He fell to his knees and he said, I am a sinful man. Jesus, you are worthy and I am not. Our story um, with Billy unfolded in some kind of unexpected ways. You know, we got into the car and... um, after we had gotten her from camp and uh, she made it pretty clear she didn't really want to talk very much. We started the five hour journey home. And I kept trying to talk to her. At one point I turned around and looked at her and she had tears rolling down her face. And my heart just shattered. Why are you doing this to her, Lord? Don't you know she can't handle it? She um, took a nap. (laughs) She texted her friends. 
And then she said um, timidly from the back seat of the car, hey, mom. Yeah, honey. So some of my friends are getting ready to go to Galveston. One of our um, one of the moms and dads, they own a house down in Galveston, and they're taking about six to eight girls from our grade, and, and they really want me to come. And I was like, well, okay, we can consider that. They're leaving today. Well, <laughs> that doesn't seem like a very good parenting idea. <laughs> there is no way I am dropping you off at somebody's house so that you can go to Galveston moments after you've been kicked out of camp. Not happening. And... Um, and she kind of shut down, and, and I turned around, and I kind of looked at my husband out of the corner of my eye, and I'm like, right, that's ridiculous, right? <laughs> and I started praying. And so she said to me again a few minutes later, Mom, yes, honey. So I looked at the map on my phone, and it turns out we're driving right past their house exactly when they're leaving. <laughs> and I'm already packed. <laughs> Both true facts. <laughs> A trunk full of clean clothes were in our car. I said, well, honey, let's talk about it. You know I'm going to need to call the mom. And you just made yourself vulnerable to somebody, and it didn't go so well. Are you willing to do that again? Because she needs to know. And she said, yeah. All right. So I got on the phone with this sweet mom who I knew, but I didn't know a lot of. I mean, we just kind of seen each other at the games and, and spent some time because our daughters liked each other. And I started to unfold the story to her about what had happened. And um, you could hear her on the other end of the line saying, oh, oh. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. Listen, we, we want her. We want her. Please bring her. I'll, I'll, we'll take such good care of her. And, and you can call me anytime you want. And, and Billy will have her phone with her. And, and she can call you. In fact, I'll tell her she has to call you every night. And, and you know, but, but we want her. And we think this is exactly where she needs to be. So would you let her come? And so uh, we did. We drove straight to this house. And all the girls were there. And they're like, yay, Billy's here. And, and we unloaded the random things from her trunk and, and, and put stuff in a duffel bag. And, 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 and she drove away. And, and I was like, what just happened? <laughs> what this last 10 hours of my life has been surreal, to say the least. <laughs> Lord, what are you doing? And uh, she came home from that trip, and um, she wasn't crushed. She was fine. It wasn't all roses and rainbows. She had, um, she had a lot of work left to do. She had a long journey left to travel. A few months uh, later, Billy casually said to me, Hey, Mom. You know, when I knew that I was coming out of my depression? And I said, no, honey, I don't. She said, when I got in the back seat of the car after I left the camp and I started to cry. 
She said, I almost started to laugh because I was feeling again. And I sank to my knees in my heart and I said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful woman. I have doubted you. I have questioned you. I have believed that I knew what was best. That you were screwing it all up. <laughs> See, that's what's crazy about our God. Things that look destructive to us, he can use for his good and his glory. Things that look like they are just crashing and burning and failing before our eyes, he can use for his glory. He used what could have been what I thought was going to be something that could break her. He used it to start healing her. And that's what God says he does. And Romans 8:28 says and we know that God causes everything every single thing everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. God causes it all to work together. See, we didn't know how Billy's story was going to end. And we had to stare our fear in the face. And the truth is, it could have ended differently, couldn't it? See, we're not promised happiness. We're not promised this happily ever after on this side of eternity. But we are promised it for eternity. And when I stared my fear in the face, I had to ask, will you be worthy even if? Even if this goes terribly wrong. There was only one answer. Yes, because you have shown me that you are God. You have broken through and shown me that you have done miraculous things before my eyes. And you are worthy because you are God. And that alone makes you worthy. But in your graciousness and your goodness, you have broken through and you have shown me. You have shown us through the miraculous things that you do that you are worthy to follow no matter what. And so I want to ask you, do you believe that? Is he worthy to follow no matter what, no matter where he is calling you? If it's a little step, just put your boat out. If it's a big thing, now let's go out to the deep water. If it's scary, if it looks like it's just going terribly wrong, is he still worthy to follow? And there is only one answer. Isn't there? There's only one answer. So will you follow him? See, Jesus proved himself worthy to Peter because he knew he was going to have that question. 
Jesus proves himself worthy to us because we are going to have that question over and over and over again. And let me ask us to just imagine for a moment, what would it be like if we all truly believed that? I mean, with our whole being, what would that change about this community? What would that change about how we live? I think we would change the world. I know we would change the world. Peter, one man, changed the world because he followed because he said, you are worthy, Jesus, and I will follow no matter where you lead. That's our calling too, to follow no matter where he leads. He's worthy. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have shown us that you are worthy. Would you remind us today of those moments that you have broken through those little handles that you have given us to hold on to so that when we question, when we doubt, when we become afraid, we know that we can remember the truth that you alone are worthy. Lord, you know the depth of what each of us is going through in this room. You know the questions we have and the fears that we have. And so, Lord, we ask that you would just come now into those places, those vulnerable spots in our hearts, and you would remind us, I am worthy. No matter how the story turns out, I am worthy. And I will not leave you or forsake you. I am with you always. May we boldly follow you. May we take the example of Peter and go boldly, leaving everything to follow. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.